it happened to be a matter of racial sensitivity because Gates was black. But I think if Gates were white, the police officer would have put the handcuffs on him, too, yelling at him. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. And today's show is sponsored by Clio. It's a web-based practice management software and Landy Insurance. Bob? Well, Craig, uh, by now uh, everybody in the United States, if not the world, has, has heard the story about the incident uh, last week involving Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates Jr., who was uh, arrested at his home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, after police responded to a call from a woman who thought she might have seen suspicious activity, uh, in particular thought she might have seen two males breaking into a home there. Uh, as it turned out, of course, it was not a couple of burglars, but uh, uh, Professor Gates trying to get back into his own home after uh, a trip uh, with the help of his driver. But uh, when police arrived, uh, there was uh, an incident uh, that we've now all heard plenty about. And uh, uh, Sergeant James Crawley questioned Gates and ended up uh, arresting him. Uh, of course, uh, that uh, broke into uh, Charges of, of, of racial profiling uh, and uh, uh, racial harassment on one side and disorderly conduct on the other. Well, Bob, since the arrest, the charges have been dropped, but uh, Professor Gates has not ruled out a lawsuit and has asked for a public apology from the Cambridge police. Sergeant Crowley has said that he has followed proper procedure and would not apologize. It's become a huge story, bringing up some big issues such as racial profiling, civil rights, and even President Obama became involved when he answered a question during a news conference about the incident uh, criticizing the Cambridge police. He has since taken heat for that comment and has tried to remedy the situation by inviting both Gates and Crowley to the White House to have an open discussion over beers this week. Uh, The whole incident raises bigger issues of how we look at racial profiling and how the country has developed over, say, the last 50 years. And I know, Bob, we've got a special guest to talk to us about that today. That's right. Well, uh, those beers are scheduled for tomorrow night. And uh, the woman who made the call just had a press conference today where she shed further light on that. So clearly the story uh, continues to develop. But what we want to try and do is, is look at some of the perhaps broader issues coming out of this. And try and gain some perspective on that. And and to help us do that, we have a a very distinguished guest today, uh, Professor Jack Greenberg, the Alphonse Fletcher Professor of Law at Columbia University Law School. Um, Professor Greenberg teaches constitutional civil rights, human rights law, and civil procedure um, at uh, Columbia. He uh, was assistant counsel to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund from 1949 to 1961, and then director counsel from 1961 to 1984. Uh, He has argued before the United States Supreme Court in 
40 civil rights cases, uh, most memorably perhaps uh, the 1954 case of Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Professor Jack Greenberg. Happy to be here. Well, Bob, before we get started, we'd like to play just a short clip to kind of set the tone for what we're going to be talking about today. It was taken from the Cambridge Police Press Conference in reference to the Gates incident. Here's Commissioner Robert Haas making a statement. I believe that Sergeant Crowley acted in a way that is consistent with his training at the department and consistent with national standards of law enforcement protocol. I do not believe his actions in any way were racially motivated. I have long held the view that every interaction has potential to teach us lessons in how we conduct ourselves both professionally and personally. I certainly feel that way now. I believe that everyone regretted this incident even occurred. I cannot imagine the outcome is one that anyone is happy with, and I am confident that we will find ourselves in a much better place after we have greater perspective. Well, Professor, what uh, the as he alluded to there, uh, a lot of people have said there are lessons to be learned in this incident. Uh, from where you sit, uh, what's what's the what's the lesson to be learned from all this? Where what's your perspective on on the events? Well, of the there last was something week? which was uh, ordinary, run of the mill call to the police. The woman who called the police, I think, did the right thing. She saw a couple of people apparently trying to force their way into the door of a house. She didn't know who they were. She didn't know what race they were. And called the police. Then when the police got there, which was, of course, appropriate because they were called to see what happened, uh, they found, I think, immediately that Professor Gates was trying to get into his own house. In fact, by then he got into it. Uh, And then I think things went out of control. Uh, I think President Obama says they acted stupidly. That's a heavily charged word. At least was taken to be that. But I think if they stopped and reflected a bit, they would have acted somewhat differently. Over the course of your career, you've seen a lot of changes in um, in the country and a lot of changes in in racial profiling. Where do you think we've um, have we come all that far? And what's what's been your experience? Oh, we've come very, very far. You know, I mean, well, you, everybody gives the example of Obama being elected as president. I think that's a valid example. Uh, there's much less discrimination than there was. You see blacks in all kinds of jobs. I recall when I was at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, uh, there was a secretary in the office whose daughter became rather famous because she was the first black airline uh, attendant, flight hostess, as they called them then. It didn't have such a thing at that point. That wasn't so very long ago. Uh, I recall when there weren't any black bus drivers in New York City, and that wasn't very long ago. So it's become quite commonplace. that There was certainly almost no black police in New York. My guess is that probably was true of Cambridge about 20, 30 years ago. So we've come a long, long way. And, and yet it's been 55 years since Brown versus Board of Education, and uh, here we are still talking about racial profiling. You know, why is this still an issue now? Why are we still talking about this? I don't think this is a racial profiling situation. I think the situation was the police officer got there and he found Gates inside the house. I think having found the man inside his own house, that should have been the end of it. He maybe was, there's a little momentum going on there, and so he told him to get outside, and then Gates, I think quite properly, was outraged by it and started screaming, and the police officer not used to being screamed at, uh, yelled at, uh, charged him with disorderly conduct. 
whatever it was, it was not disorderly conduct by any definition of that law, either in Massachusetts or anywhere else. But I think people just got a little bit out of control. Well, and I don't mean to suggest this was racial profiling, but uh, even President Obama in his uh, now famous news conference where he used that word stupid that you referred to, right. uh, said that he said that racial profiling is a fact in this country. And, and that when well, he was in the in uh, Illinois legislature, uh, you know, he worked on legislation to uh, uh, to uh, uh, remedy uh, racial profiling. It's a fact. You know, the famous joke about driving while black being a crime. Cars driven by blacks frequently are stopped for reasons that a car driven by a white would not be stopped. There have been all sorts of statistical studies of that, so there's no doubt that it goes on. But this this was, he, the police were called to the house before anybody knew what race anybody was. Uh, don't think you would call it racial profiling. So is this a, a, a teachable moment? Uh, is there a lesson to be taught out of this, or is this really an anomaly that, that doesn't have anything to offer? There's a lesson to be taught out of it. I think, you know, there's a that Gates was outraged, that I think anybody would have been, black, white, or anything else, being arrested, even breaking into your own home. Uh, I think the police should have taken a deep breath and drawn back. Here's a guy, I don't know, tall, he is five foot five, five foot six. He was walking with a cane. He wasn't a threat to anybody. To handcuff him is almost a joke. I think they were just acting by going by the book, and I think the book always provides for some opportunity to employ a little bit of common sense. Is there is there a, a constitutional issue at play here at all, or is this simply a matter of, as you say, common sense? Well, I think if they hadn't dropped the disorderly conduct charge, it would have been a constitutional issue. Because I've had cases in which people were charged with disorderly conduct and breach of the peace and disturbing the peace, and there was no, no evidence of that, and there was no evidence of that here. And the courts, in fact, the U.S. Supreme Court has thrown those charges out on the ground that there was no evidence to support them. But there is no constitutional issue because I think they had the good sense to drop the charges. How do you go about proving racial profiling? Oh, they've done statistical analyses of cars being stopped along the highway and then what was what the evidence later turned up. And statistically, there's a great imbalance of people of color being stopped when people were not... Uh, dark-skinned, were not stopped. So they, they, they've done statistical analyses. I think the state of New York has done it. I think the state of New Jersey has done it. I think they've established that it has existed. I hope it doesn't exist any longer. What do you attribute the firestorm over this uh, arrest to be? Is it is it really a consequence of uh, feeling like we've come so far in electing President Obama to the White House and then having a situation like this arise and thinking, oh, we haven't really accomplished anything? No, I don't think so. I think that, uh, first of all, Gates is a celebrated academic. He's not only celebrated in the academic world, he's I don't know if you've ever seen him on television, various programs. I've seen him a number of times. So he's very well known. Harvard professor is sort of a, a, a title. It's a descriptor, which attracts a lot of attention. A badge. <laughs> and uh, he was picked up by the police. And, and the fact that it was so improbable, and this little guy who being handcuffed, and these two big cops looming over him, I mean, they could have blown him over with a breath. Do you... Uh... From where you sit, uh, again, with uh, a long history behind you of having been involved in in uh, civil rights issues and in 
constitutional law and 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 having worked for the NAACP. Apart from setting aside this incident, uh, where do you see the state of, of, of civil rights law in this country? I, I know you said earlier it's it's, it's come a long way, uh, but there seems to be uh, some movement uh, that some would see as almost regressive, uh, particularly at the Supreme Court, where there seems to be a strong feeling uh, that uh, you know affirmative action is is not something that should be recognized any longer that it that it's it's outplayed its time um, where do you see uh, the current state of of uh, of the law in this area well we have come a long way and i mentioned the uh that we have black police now in new york and all the major cities each city where this has happened it's it's occurred as the result of a lawsuit and the lawsuit was a lawsuit based upon affirmative action principles. And uh, if the uh, the rule that the current Supreme Court, the current majority of five, wants to put into effect had been in effect, we would not be where we are right now. We have still mainly all-white police departments. So uh, I think that the, the, the progress that we've made is somewhat under threat, yeah. I don't think it'll be regression, but I think they there might be some regression, but there certainly won't be any more progress for a while. As we've gone through uh, Sotomayor's nomination, we've heard a lot about the Connecticut firefighter case and the issues with still racial issues involved in, in cases. Do you see um, a difference between the type of uh, advances that we've made by race, or do you think it's largely been even? Or are we now trying to figure out how to bring Latinos along? Oh, I think race, the, the Latinos and, and the African-Americans are pretty much in the same same boat, except the African-American civil rights movement had a head start because it was a more severe problem and there weren't as many Latinos in the United States as we have now at the time the Brown case was decided. So certainly, in fact, before Brown was decided, there was a school segregation case involving Latinos in California which the California Supreme Court struck that down. So what do you say to those who would say, uh, those uh, say on the Supreme Court, I, I'm not sure if the Supreme Court uh, justices are, are saying, the, those who are in this sort of conservative majority at this point, are saying that, that affirmative action has, has run its course or that it, it just was never authorized by the by the four corners of the Constitution in the I first place. I think they're saying so, that, that they never should have had it in the first place. Yeah, sure. And, and, and what do you say to them? What's, what's your answer to that? I mean, do you agree with them at all? Or, or, uh, no, of what's course, I don't with, agree with them even slightly. When the Supreme Court uh, upheld affirmative action in years past, they were basing it on the Constitution. And despite all the attacks on Sotomayor for saying that you know, your values play a part in what you... New York constitutional decisions, the fact is they do, there's no doubt about that, and the senators who denounce that just want their own values put in, and they say that's within the four corners of the Constitution. I was just reading some things today in which, after the Civil War, after the, uh, the Congress put all kinds of affirmative action laws into effect right back then, and that's uh, when there was a 14th Amendment that is the same 14th Amendment that they're trying to interpret now. And, and if there was a need for affirmative action at some point, whether after the Civil War or in 1954 or even more recently, you know, do you do you reach a point where there is no longer that need? Or is that oh, really I'm sure there'll be thinking? some time when that comes. 
But, you know, it is strange. I think the, the fire departments all over the country, with few exceptions, are almost all white. Uh, some some reason or, on, or other, the fire department culture hangs on and has changed, and hasn't changed as much as police departments or other kinds of municipal jobs. And so you're saying that uh, you could possibly reach that point, but we're not there yet. That's right. That's right. I think you could possibly reach it. And in some dimensions, maybe we have reached it, but we haven't reached it there now. So are you, I don't know if you're uh, acquainted with Professor Gates at all or, or have discussed this with him at all? No, I have not. No. No. And are you, I mean, are you personally acquainted with him at all? Or you no, just I'm not. I've been at yeah. a number of meetings and all that he's attended and I've heard him speak, but we're not on a, we don't have a personal relationship. The, the uh, you know, the president uh, perhaps said more than he wanted to when he when he used the word stupid initially and and uh well if he'd said of advice or unfortunate uh, nobody would have the word stupid carries certain resonance with it that he hadn't anticipated i wouldn't have anticipated it either but uh, having said it he found out how some people view it what what do you think of the way the president has responded to this and uh, of the idea of bringing the two of them together for beers in the White House? I think he said he's sorry. He said it's anything that got people upset, and he certainly didn't want to disparage anybody. Uh, I don't think, as I said earlier, that the police officer involved was acting out of bad motives. I think he was reacting to the fact that Professor Gates was reacting to him. And police officers don't like to be dissed, you know. Uh, and the president said, let's all calm it down and sit down and have a beer. I don't know whether that'll do any good, but I figure everybody will be, I'd be very polite under the circumstances. Professor, you don't think that uh, President Obama you know, would have invited them to come to the White House if he hadn't gotten involved with it. Do you think it's appropriate for the president to express an opinion about uh, situations like this? Sure it is. I think it's appropriate to express an opinion, and I think his opinion was right. Except I think he used words that had certain charge to them that he hadn't anticipated. I would not have anticipated. Some people react very badly to being called stupid. I think if he said it was wise or unfortunate or some other, some adjective like that, you wouldn't, might, would not have got the same reaction. We're going to take a short break. Stay with us and we'll be back in a moment with more with Professor Jack Greenberg. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Right from the beginning, you know, I knew I was important. Can you say that about the insurance agency helping to protect your legal practice? Lawyers like Rebecca Brody are confident working with the Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency, knowing they have the best professional liability insurance coverage for the best possible price. It is about customer service. I think that's what we like to promote in our business. You know, we did have some kind of specialty questions. We did have some concerns. It was really great, and it really felt like if I'm that well taken care of, it made it possible for me to go and take care of, you know, take care of my business and take care of my clients. 
Give us a call at 800-336-5422 or visit our website at landy.com. That's L-A-N-D-Y dot com. 60 years of experience. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back Professor Jack Greenberg, the Alphonse Fletcher Professor of Law at Columbia University Law School. Professor Greenberg, I guess, you know, we've we've been kind of uh, talking around this issue, but is there really a, a civil rights issue at, at all in play in, in, in this particular case with, with that we've been witnessing in, in Cambridge, or is this really, a, do you see it more as a, a case of perhaps uh, misunderstandings all around? Well, there's certainly misunderstandings all around. I think there is a civil rights issue in that the police arrested him without regard to whether it's black or white, uh, obviously because he talked back to the police officer. And I don't think it should be a crime to talk back to a police officer. Because the police officers don't view it that way, and I think most people probably say discretion is a better part of valor. But he was pretty, pretty uh, annoyed. Uh, he'd come back from a long flight from China, and he was per- his nerves were probably a bit frayed, and he, this guy arrested him in his own house for apparently no good reason. So I think that he uh, he was pretty upset. Is there a point, uh, legally, I guess, uh, when uh, talking back to a police officer does cross over into an arrestable offense? I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's not a crime. It may not be good judgment, but I don't. I, yeah. I mean, is this a First Amendment issue, or is it a privacy issue, or or what is it? Well, please. I mean, if you're impolite to some guy on the street, there's nothing he can do about it except maybe punch you in the nose, and then that becomes another kind of an issue. Right. Please, police officer uses his authority to arrest you. I don't think it's a good judgment to talk back to a police officer. I, I don't know what he expected to accomplish. Well, I would not talk back to a police officer. Right, but um, yeah. if your nerves are frayed and you're tired and you think what's been done to you is totally unjustified, you might do that. And I guess the pop, the cops ought to have some sort of sensitivity training. I know when you check into an airline, you start yelling and shouting at the person behind the counter because of something you don't like. They've been trained to just be very calm and not even crack an expression about it and just say, you know, very sorry, sir, something of the sort. Police officers should get that kind of training, but they don't have the kind of authority over you that a police officer has. Of course, in this case, a Officer Crowley uh, was in fact uh, somebody who who had taught uh, racial sensitivity, as I understood it, uh, training uh, for the police force. Yeah, well, I don't think uh, this was a matter of. Ra- I mean, it, this it, was not it a matter, happened of, a matter of racial sensitivity because Gates was black. But I think if Gates were white, the police officer would have put the handcuffs on him too, yelling at him. Right. What about the question of the fact that, that Professor Gates was in his own home? Does that uh, have any bearing on, on the legal situation here? I mean, if this had happened well, on the street... Well, it does, because uh, the, uh, the disturbing the peace laws talk about alarming the people around you. There was nobody around him. He was in his own house. He, there was no peace to disturb. He was in his own house. If we're out there in right. the street and creating some kind of a row or in a restaurant, that might be a different issue. But there was disturbing the peace. You're not disturbing the peace if you're yelling and screaming in your own dwelling. Well, President Obama said that this was a, a teachable moment. What do you think the lessons are we have to learn from this? Well, I think the lesson the, the police officer should have learned is that if a citizen starts is very upset and there's apparent some reason for him being upset, 
which I think was obvious in the situation. You just take a deep breath and you let things calm down for a while and you listen to what's happening. And then to arrest them, that makes absolutely no sense. Have you had some discussions I mean, are, among your friends and among your peers? What's the consensus among your uh, your friends as how this uh, situation has affected the country or at least where we sit as a consequence of it? Well, we have had an awful lot of discussion about it, but to the extent it's been discussion, it's what I said, said to you, that uh, there was no reason to arrest him there. It's quite understandable he got upset. If he got upset, there was no reason to charge him with disturbing the peace. I think the police officer being a public official is the one who is really charged with the responsibility of having act acted properly. I mean, if I were Professor Gates, I'd like to think that I would have held my temper, but I can see why he didn't under these circumstances. Over the course of your experience, you've certainly seen a lot of these types of things. Do you see parallels between this incident and the incidents that you've uh, read about and heard about and you know, obviously litigated in the past? Well, I, 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 it's not at all comparable, but I think back to the days of the Civil Rights Movement when black uh, college students went into restaurants and sat there and demanded to be served. And when the police came in and told them to move, they just sat there quietly and didn't say or do anything. Uh, they were Then they were arrested for disturbing the peace, and I had a couple of those cases in the U.S. Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said there was no disturbing the peace because there was no evidence that anybody in the, in the environment had been disturbed. It was denial of constitutional rights. I don't think that the Gates case would have ever got that far, but if it did, I think that's what the courts should hold. Well, we've reached the point in our program, Professor Greenberg, where it's time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts. So... If you could please uh, give us your final thoughts as well as your contact information for our listeners if they'd like to get a hold of you. Well, they can contact me at uh, Columbia Law School, 435 West 116th Street. They can write to me there or email to me at jg25 at columbia.edu. If anything they'd like to communicate to me or any questions that they might have. Well, my final thoughts were this was really an unfortunate situation in which the police, I think, acted in an unfortunate manner. There was no reason to arrest him. There was no reason to charge him. I can understand very well how police officers could react sort of negatively to being spoken to very harshly by somebody who quite understandably was feeling pretty, some pretty harsh thoughts for having been arrested in his own home, yeah. I think the police officer, if he if he'd acted the way a, a, a clerk at an airline counter is taught to act, or somebody who deals with the public is taught to act, I think he would have kept his cool. I don't think Gates was certainly was not threatening him. I mean, it's almost a joke to think that Gates could have threatened a police officer. Well, Professor, we appreciate your having taken the time to be with us on the program today and share your perspective on this. Uh, Craig, that about does it for this week's show. And uh, I'd like to remind our listeners that they can check out uh, not just this week's show, but all of our past programs at thelegaltalknetwork.com. And we'd like to thank uh, Professor Jack Greensberg from Columbia University Law School for being our guest today. And Bob, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. 
We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.